Uh, I want to start this morning like I did last uh, Sunday morning before sermon. Again, kind of a new thing. Most of us still out there in uh, virtual or remote world, but some of us here. And so we're in, in kind of in two different boats in the same big sea. So uh, last week, instead of just me, as I've always done, uh, leading us in prayer before we open the scriptures, we prayed uh, together in one voice as one body. So we're going to do that again right now. There's uh, a prayer up on the screen uh, or on your screen at home. So let's uh, speak that prayer out loud, uh, joyfully, and with energy and enthusiasm together. Let's pray. God and Father of the Lord Jesus, speak to us now through your word. Open the eyes of our hearts to your truth and your grace therein. Transform us according to your word and by your spirit. Mold us into the likeness of Jesus. We give you our attention. We give you ourselves. Bring about your kingdom in us and through us here on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. And now reading from Matthew chapter 28, it's the last chapter in Matthew's gospel. Jesus has been crucified, now uh, it's the third day. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary show up at Jesus' tomb to find the large stone had been rolled away from the entrance. An angel appears to them and says, do not be afraid, which is what angels are, always say because they are scary. Do not be afraid, but Mary and Mary were afraid, of course. But they were also filled with great joy, Matthew tells us. And so begins Matthew's account of Jesus' post-resurrection life. Fast forward to verse 16. Listen closely, follow along. Words are on the screen. This is the word of God. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw Jesus, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And I love that Matthew's really, really honest with his readers about who and how they were. He doesn't hold back the sort of unimpressive aspects of the disciples. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And this passage of Scripture, and particularly verses 18, 19, 20, have been called for forever probably the Great Commission and have been held up as the great battle cry for cross-cultural missions, for global missions, for international missions. And rightly so to some degree. Because Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. And we hear Jesus saying, leave your nation. We hear him saying, depart from your nation and go to other nations. Go to where the unbelievers are. Go to where the heathen are. Go to where the lost are. Go to where the gospel has not yet been heard. Go to remote places in distant countries. Go to unreached people groups, UPGs. And Jesus did include, and Jesus was including such destinations and such people in his instructions to his disciples when he said, go to all nations, go to all nations. But Jesus was not only talking about going to all nations. The Greek word translated here validly 
as nations is ethne. Let's say that together. Ethne. And ethne can also validly be translated as into English as ethnicities or peoples or cultures. And so Jesus' point was simply go to all sorts of peoples. The gospel and the kingdom are not just for you. They are not just for your family. They are not just for your neighborhood. They are not just for people just like you. Go to all peoples everywhere and make disciples. Make disciples. Let's say that together. Make disciples. But somewhere along the way, the emphasis in our reading and hearing of the Great Commission of Jesus landed on going to all nations rather than on making disciples. Or for some of us, what gets our attention, what sticks with us in this Great Commission is baptism. Go and baptize. Go to all nations and baptize. And we make much of baptism, but forget to make disciples. And maybe that's easy to do because we can count baptisms. We can quantify baptisms. It's harder to quantify the making of disciples. When is someone a disciple? When do they get there? How do they get there? When is the process complete? When does a person arrive? It's a good question. Now, I'm really grateful and I'm encouraged by the people like David and Julie Schock who have listened to God's call to go and make disciples of all nations in other nations and who have followed God's call upon their lives to do just that and to literally cross oceans to do what they can do, their part, what God's calling them to do to make disciples of Jesus. I'm greatly encouraged for and about them, absolutely. And I'm encouraged that this congregation for decades has been committed to raising up and sending people from among ourselves into the world and across oceans and to other nations to make disciples there, and that this congregation has been for decades and continues to be committed to raising up disciples and Christian workers in those same countries and other countries to go to their own indigenous peoples to make disciples there. But Jesus, with the words of the Great Commission, was not just speaking to all those heroic missionaries and Christian workers in foreign lands and foreign mission fields. He was, and he still is, talking just as much to you and to me. Rewind to chapter 4 of Matthew's Gospel. Jesus is calling his first disciples, just beginning his public ministry, Peter and Andrew and James and John. And Jesus said to them, Come and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men, or I will send you out to fish for people. Jesus didn't say, I've got a plan for you to join a church, to join a Bible study, to learn to pray, to become a well-adjusted member of society. Those are, those are all very good things. No, rather, Jesus had to say, Jesus said to his first disciples, and every disciple he's called to himself afterward, I am calling you to myself to send you out to make other disciples, that you might be fishers or collectors or gatherers of other people to become like us and me. I will send you out to do everything that I am teaching you to do, to teach others to do. And I will send you out, Jesus said, to do even greater things. And Jesus did just that. 
And then after his crucifixion and resurrection and the outpouring of his spirit on his disciples, Jesus again sent out his disciples to make other disciples. This was his multiplication strategy. He did not have another multiplication strategy. He did not have another strategy for getting the gospel and the kingdom to the ends of the earth. And Peter and Andrew, Peter and, Andrew and James and John and all of the others didn't have to be conjoled into making other disciples. They didn't have to have their arms twisted. They didn't have to be coerced. They didn't get paid. Quite the contrary. They, on their own, launched out when Jesus says go. And they, at great risk to themselves, began to make disciples all over their region and the next region and to the ends of the earth. Jesus didn't have to say to Peter, go out. Rather, Jesus says, wait, Peter, hold on, be patient. Wait for the empowering of the Holy Spirit because he knew that without the empowering of the Holy Spirit, Peter was going to mess things up again. But once filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter and the others couldn't be held back. Disciples don't have to be cajoled into making other disciples. They can't help but make other disciples. Sort of like someone who's really excited about mountain biking can't help telling you all about mountain biking and how great it is. Someone who's into crochet wants to tell you about how great crocheting is and to show you all the things that she or he has made and invite you to their crochet group. Is it true? How many of us have been, been invited to a crochet group? Okay, everyone in the sanctuary held up their hand. Amazing. But who in the church today is making disciples? Who in the church today is making disciples? Pastors of many churches, and maybe most churches, and myself included, have failed miserably in this realm. Allowing themselves, ourselves, to instead be consumed by or distracted by many other things. They, we, have gotten caught up in the operations of the church and the operation of the organization in various tasks that were called upon, asked, expected to do. Consequently, discipleship is not what the average person or even the average church member expects or is looking for or maybe even wants in and out of the church. In the words of Dallas Willard, for at least several decades, the churches of the Western world have not made discipleship a condition of being a Christian. One is not required to be or expected to be or to intend to be a disciple in order to become a Christian. And one may remain a Christian without any signs of progress toward or in discipleship. Contemporary American churches in particular do not require following Christ in his example, spirit, and teachings as a condition of membership, either of entering into membership or continuing in fellowship of a denomination or a local church. Instead of discipleship and following Jesus, conversion is what many or most churches aim for. Or baptism, or conversion followed immediately by baptism. And there's nothing wrong with either of those things. They're both good and important, of course. But Jesus absolutely called and invited people to more than those things. And Jesus calls us to help people towards something beyond both or either. Are you with me? Jesus called people to be disciples. And 
to make disciples. And I want to back up for a minute just so that we can be really clear about what we mean and what is meant by the word disciple. A disciple is someone who is striving in God's grace, through God's grace, with God's grace, to become like one's teacher, to learn that their teacher's craft, to emulate their Lord's character, to become like their Savior, not just in outward actions, but also in heart. A disciple is a learner, a student, an apprentice, a practitioner. Disciples of Jesus are people who do not just profess certain views as their own, but apply their growing understanding of life in the kingdom of the heavens to every aspect of their life on earth. Conversely, and because of that, non-discipleship, non-discipleship has its costs, its, its expenses, its downsides. Non-discipleship costs, or not being a disciple misses out on, Abiding peace, a life penetrated throughout by love, faith that sees everything in the light of God's overriding governance for good, hopefulness that stands firm in the most discouraging of circumstances, power to do what is right and withstand the forces of evil, the abundance of life that Jesus said he came to bring. Becoming a disciple of Jesus and living as a disciple of Jesus is not about earning God's favor or achieving salvation. Those, again, come by grace, which is opposed to earning, but which is not opposed to effort. Earning is an attitude. Effort is an action. Grace is opposed to earning. Grace is not opposed to effort. And so to be clear... The disciples of Jesus, the disciple of Jesus is not a deluxe or the heavy duty model of the Christian, as we sometimes think it is. The disciple of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, is not the deluxe or heavy duty model of what it means to be Christian, specifically the padded, textured, streamlined, empowered for the fast lane on the straight and narrow way model. Rather, a disciple stands on the pages of the New Testament as the first level of basic transportation in the kingdom of God. A Christian may be one thing, but a disciple is the basic and the default function and purpose and entity to which God calls a person to be. The word Christian occurs in the New Testament three times. The word disciple occurs in the New Testament 269 times. And that is why our stated mission as a congregation is to honor God, to bring honor and glory to God by helping people become fully devoted followers or disciples, students, learners of Jesus. So let's say that together. Let's say our mission stayed together. The mission of First Presbyterian Church San Mateo is to honor God by helping people become fully devoted followers of Jesus. But how does a person become and or grow up into a fully devoted follower, student, disciple, or imitator of Jesus? There are lots of ways to do this, 
But this is sure. Disciples are not born. They are made. Let's say that together again. Disciples are not born. They are made. People do not drift into discipleship with Jesus. It doesn't happen. People do not accidentally find themselves as disciples of Jesus. It didn't happen in the scriptures. It doesn't happen today. To follow Jesus, to be his disciple, student, learner, apprentice, pupil, means or requires intention and often also help. It requires intention and also often help. Now, if you are not or if you do not understand yourself to be haven't thought of yourself, don't look at yourself, understand yourself to be a student of Jesus, an apprentice of Jesus, and you would like to be receiving all the love, joy, peace, patience, and abundance, as well as sometimes hardship that go along with that, then by all means, let someone know, let me know, let one of the elders know, send us an email, grab one of us on the way out. We want to help you if you have never understood yourselves to be or intended to be a disciple, student, learner, apprentice, follower of Jesus in this life. Let us know. And if you are already a disciple, I encourage you today to be about that to which Jesus calls us to go to anyone and everyone who may be interested in getting to know Jesus and learning about Jesus and learning the way of Jesus. And to help them learn to live in his way, in his kingdom, that as we've talked about is available here and now among us and within us today. And this can look a lot of different ways. This can take many forms. I want to give us just a few elements and a few bullet points on the way out. But helping people become followers, disciples of Jesus, making disciples as Jesus commanded in his great commission can take a lot of different forms. Here we go. Pray. Pray for open doors. Pray for opportunities. Pray for courage. Pray for humility. Pray for people to come to faith. Ask God to put within people around you an interest and a desire to know and follow Jesus. Second, go. Don't wait for people to come to you. It's probably not going to happen. The going doesn't have to be across the ocean, overseas, to a different nation, even to a different ethnic group or unreached people group. But still, we are called to go out to people and have conversations with people and invite people and to live publicly with our following Jesus. Go. Next is grace. Early on, don't slip into the trap of this is about working or being good enough or earning one's salvation or proving oneself to God or relying on one's own strength, but instead remind yourself and always remind others that the most attractive thing about God and Jesus Christ is His grace, His freedom, His favor that no one earns, that no one achieves, not you, not someone you may help to be a disciple of Jesus. Number four, teach Disciple makers are always teachers. Learn so that you can teach, but don't wait until you know everything to begin because you'll never know everything. But every one of us is able to teach, if not from a pulpit or a lectern or in a classroom, still teach, share, impart what we know to others. 
Next is model. Model following Jesus for others. Don't only teach, but also show others through your life what it means to follow Jesus, which will help us to become accountable and following Jesus ourselves. Next is experiences. Help provide experiences for people where they can see and understand and watch you as you attempt to follow Jesus. Invite people into experiences. Provide people with experiences. I was invited uh, when I was uh, 23 years old on a mission trip, and I've been to other mission trips, but uh, I, didn't, I was invited into this bigger, more thorough, farther, uh, more risk-taking, faith-requiring mission trip. And my uh, college roommate, I was just remembering this yesterday, gave me $500 to go on that trip. And I thought, that is a ton of money when we just graduated from college and had zip. Uh, he was helping provide me with an experience that would be a life-building, faith-building, disciple-building experience for the rest of my life and an opportunity to serve and an opportunity to watch others serve and an opportunity to see how the church was growing and blossoming and making disciples around the world. Help other people have experiences that are faith-building, that are disciple-building. Encourage other people. Say you can do it. Cheer people along. Be there for people. Walk with people along the way. And then correct other people. It's biblical. Jesus certainly corrected his disciples numerous times, did he not? It's not all all nodding and affirmation, but hey, you messed up there, Peter. Let me show you the way. Reel this in. Let's start over. You can do this. Correcting people you are helping to follow Jesus is important. And then loving people. Always loving people. If disciple-making isn't a loving enterprise, then it's nothing. If we're not filled with the Spirit of God who is love and led by the Father who is love, then we're not even on track ourselves. Always love. Always wish the other well. Don't be overly invested in the other person to the extent that your ego rides on it. Let go Love, wish them well, push them to Jesus. And then pray again. Pray for their well-being. Pray for that person's growth. Pray for anyone you're helping to become a disciple of Jesus. Now, those are just ten things in a sort of order. But there are lots of other aspects. How many of you at home and in the sanctuary, how many of us had someone... At some point in our lives, whether as a child or a youth or young adult or a middle-aged person, how many of us had or have had a person in our lives who helped us become a disciple of Jesus, who made us into disciples of Jesus? Raise your hand. And now, honestly, everyone in the sanctuary has their hand raised, hopefully many of you. And think back about those people in your life, who were disciple makers, who poured into you in a variety of ways, these ways and others. And hear Jesus calling you today, us today, the church today, to be similarly pouring into other people's lives today ourselves. To this Jesus has called us. The church so often functions as a club or a rescue mission, or a hospital, or a community center. 
but it also must function and is intended to be a training center, a school, a college, an academy where people who don't have experience and skills and knowledge are brought in and told and shown and ushered through the way of Jesus to life, abundant life, eternal life, meaningful life, joyful life, the way of love and the kingdom. The last few days we've been helping our kids to figure out how and what choices they will make and how we'll fill out the surveys for them and their public schooling for the next semester through the fall, how they think they would like and we would like and how we think best for them will go the distance learning. Of all the options we've been given, they've been given, how do we want to do the distance learning? And I thought to myself, the church has been on hold for too long in some ways. This is an opportunity in that some of us, for some of us, life has slowed down. But even if it hasn't, even if we can't get together in our life groups, even if we can't get together in our small groups, even if lots of things that we used to do, including this, can't happen the way that they have for years in our whole lives, then distance learning is still an option for us and something that we should jump on. Despite COVID, we can make disciples through the mechanisms, the tools, and the mediums and avenues of distance learning, of distance disciple-making. 30 of us over the last couple of weeks have taken up a curriculum to learn about the history of racism in the church with the hope of becoming a different kind of church. We're doing this through distance learning. We're growing. We're discipling one another. There are literally endless opportunities for this as a church today and especially today. And so over the coming weeks, you will, if you're paying attention, reading, listening here in the congregation, you will see other opportunities to grow as a disciple of Jesus if you are young in your discipleship and disciplehood but also other opportunities for you to grow and to go as a disciple maker, as someone who is pouring into other people's lives. To this we are called. I think this is true not just because this is what the church is supposed to do and not just because this will be good and a blessing and open the door to abundance and eternity for each person who is discipled but also because our world needs it. More than any time in my life, it just feels like what the world needs most of all is Jesus out in the world, infused in relationships and governing bodies and institutions and schools. The love of God in Jesus for people who are being pushed aside, criticized. Unity instead of disunity. Harmony instead of tension. Love instead of hate. Peace instead of war. Does our world need this now more than any time in many of our lives? And how is that going to come about? Through disciples who are being made, through disciples who are being planted, through disciples who are being sent, through disciples who are making other people disciples by inviting them into the way of Jesus, introducing them to 
the Savior who died on the world's behalf. Jesus didn't have another plan. Part of his plan for the salvation of the world, and the biggest part of it, was his coming, his incarnation, his taking upon us the death that we could not die and being resurrected in a way that we never could without and apart from him going first. But he also invites us into an aspect of eternity in his kingdom through us following in his steps and helping others do the same. May this be the mission of the church going forward even through the rest of COVID. And may this be the mission not just of First Presbyterian Church San Mateo, but of each and every one of us, not just pastors, elders, deacons, staff, leaders, but all of us. And God will be glorified and we will be satisfied. Amen. Let's pray. God, you came in Jesus, you taught, you modeled, you loved, you poured yourself out, you showed us the way, you invited us into the way and the life. You did everything possible that we might be united with him and conform to his image and likeness. That through your spirit and your word that we might be transformed by the renewing of our minds and then also our hearts and then also our whole lives and beings. Bring about this, this, this kingdom. Make us more and more through your help and the help of one another into students of our teacher that we too might also teach others the way. We pray in his name. Amen.